Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me. And be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress, and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased, and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life, and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. As we stand, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do uh, pray for your help this morning. We pray that you would open our hearts and to hear clearly from your word. We pray that through this psalm you would teach us and teach us to pray and teach us to depend upon you with all our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please do sit down. And um, as you're sitting down, if you could be turning back to Psalm uh, 25 uh, in the Church Bibles, that's page uh, 556. It will be very helpful if you have that Um, open in front of you. Uh, Psalm 25, page 556. 
Now let, me, let me begin with a, a confession. Let me begin by confessing that I do, although I love this psalm, I do have a problem with this psalm. I have a problem, for example, with uh, verse 3. Let me read that uh, to you again. Uh, David says, No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. Now, at one level, I, I, I do believe that the whole Bible is, is true. And therefore, of course, I believe that those words are true. But at another level, I'm, I'm really struggling with those words. I'm struggling to, to, to fully believe them. You see, I can remember things I've done and, and, and thoughts. Uh, and I think as I face those words, well, if those things were to come to light, surely, surely that would be deeply shameful. How can David say you will never be put to shame? Um, or look at verse 10, for example, where David says, All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. Now, of course, I know that as a Christian, what David calls the demands of the Lord's covenants um, have been fully met in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Uh, But then still I struggle, because still I I think of my own faithlessness and seriously begin to wonder whether the Lord will protect and love me uh, through all the difficult challenges of life and Christian ministry. In other words, there there are thoughts... Uh, painful thoughts and memories floating around in my mind uh, that are stopping me from thinking the way that David is thinking and praising the way that David is praising. And those thoughts incapacitate me in the Christian life and hold me back in joy and love and service. And uh, I suspect there are many among us who may be able to identify uh, with that as well. I experienced this in a very physical way um, just earlier this week, uh, late on Tuesday evening, uh, tripping over at home, uh, banging my head on the the edge of a wooden box, um, hence the uh, interesting looking scar. Uh, It was a pretty hefty whack and um, I had 10 minutes or so being unable to move and get up and um, lots of interesting uh, moving coloured patterns. Uh, Mild concussion, they said at A&E. And uh, I was then quite surprised actually to, to find out how how hard it was to think straight uh, for the rest of the week. So if this sermon doesn't make much sense this morning, um, uh, that's my excuse. I'm sticking to it. Uh, But that was a very kind of physical example of how painful experiences can incapacitate us. Uh, But that is likewise true for painful or negative thoughts. Uh, Now I know that I'm not alone in all of this. Um, In the wider culture, according to one study, around half of people struggle with suicidal thoughts at a a moderate to severe level for at least two weeks sometime in their lives. According to another, about 30% of adults at any one time have some sort of recognisable psychiatric disorder. 30%. And of course, Christians are not exempt from any of this. A recent survey of relatively young adults in Australian churches found that 80% of them had been deeply mentally affected by suffering of one form or another. Sometimes the mental anguish we feel is very serious and requires special attention. Sometimes we might say that it's less serious 
Uh, But the harsh reality is that for quite a lot of the time, most of us are struggling with painful thoughts or memories of one form or another. So then, is there any hope in the midst of all of this? I'll be glad to hear, you'll be glad to hear this morning. Yes, there is. And a very good place to start looking for it is to start looking at some of the other verses of this psalm. Because what we shall find David doing in, in much of this psalm is what we would call lamenting. That is, he's crying out to the Lord in anguish or confusion for help. And starting this week and continuing the week after next, we're going to be looking at four psalms of lament written by King David, Psalms 25 through to 28. And I want to persuade you over these four weeks that lamenting is good. Lamenting is great. Indeed, lamenting may well be the missing ingredient in our prayer lives. And we begin here in Psalm 25, uh, where David is going to teach us to pray to the Lord in the midst of external attack and uh, most especially internal anguish and guilt. Uh, that is, this is addressing those situations where we're struggling to pray, where we're struggling to trust, where we're struggling to praise God, struggling to think straightly and rightly about the Lord our God. And in those situations, David is going to teach us to do two things first and foremost. And we're going to look at these under two headings this morning. And the first is this. Entrust yourself to the Lord, says David. Entrust yourself to the Lord. And the second is going to be this. Cry out openly to him for help and mercy. And then right at the end, we'll come back to how that should help us think rightly again about the Lord and even to praise him. So what is step number one in all of this according to Psalm 25? Well, it's this. Entrust yourself to the Lord. This is indeed what we see David himself doing the first three verses of this psalm. And by writing this psalm for us, that is indeed what he wants us to do first too. In that moment of fear, loneliness, guilt, or despair, resolve to trust the Lord, says David, and then true trust and praise will follow. Now, David doesn't tell us very much about the details of the situation he was in when he wrote this psalm, Uh, but there are one or two things we can work out. Uh, So look at the end of verse two, for example, uh, where David cries 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 this out to the Lord. He says, do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. Uh, We can infer that somehow he's under threat from from people who want to crush and shame him publicly. And uh, we can infer that in this situation, David really doesn't know what to do. So verse four, he cries out, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Read on a bit more and we can see that all this fear and anxiety and uncertainty is compounded by his memories of past sins. Look at verse seven, where he cries out, remember not the sins of my youth. You see, those, those memories, that guilt, could make David doubt that the Lord will, would be on his side, uh, willing to help him in his struggle. And it would seem that that doubt is sapping his emotions 
Look down with me at verses 16 through to 18 and see how David describes himself here. Verse 18, for example, lonely and afflicted. Verse 17, troubled in heart and in anguish. Verse 18, afflicted and distressed. And actually it turns out to be very good that we don't know precisely what situation caused David to feel this way because it does help us to use this psalm ourselves. It helps us to identify with David in his distress. Let me give you just one possible example. Picture a young man in his mid-twenties, say, sitting on the floor of his room at two in the morning, his head in his hands. This is perhaps someone seen by his church family as having great potential for the future. He's been thinking and talking about Bible college and perhaps over, even overseas mission. He has energy and ability. But he's just done something and he knows that if that were to become known to, to the enemies of the gospel, uh, they, would, they would be howling in derision at yet another Christian hypocrite. And at that moment of despair, his Christian life feels an absolute sham. And he can't see what to do. He can't see any way out of it. And he can't see how God could in any way be for him or with him. And that is not merely a a hypothetical example. According to George Vera, who is the the founder of Operation Mobilization in the States, uh, there are, in his view, a tragic number of such people. Uh, People who, to quote from an article on this just a few years ago, uh, at one point in their lives dreamed of radical obedience to Jesus, but then faded away into useless American prosperity, incapacitated by their guilt and sense of worthlessness. And so there they sit, in anguish and distress. At that moment, perhaps the loneliest people in the world. But, amazingly, just like David in this psalm, So what is the first thing that David does here and would have us do when we find ourselves in that place? Well, it's this. Ignore your feelings, at least for a moment, says David, and entrust yourself to the Lord. From verse one. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. You see, it's like this. We feel like hiding ourselves from God. We feel like shrinking back and perhaps even finding our own solutions to our problems apart from him before we even dare to approach him. But no, says David, that's not what I'm going to do. Instead of hiding myself, instead of hiding my soul, my inmost personality, I'm going to lift it up to you, oh Lord. Here it is. Here I am in all my brokenness. And instead of trying to deal with this myself or finding some answers elsewhere, 
I'm going to trust in you, oh my God. Now, it is, of course, hard to do things that we don't feel like doing, um, even when we know that they're the right things to do. It's also hard to encourage other people to do what they don't want to do. Parents of teenage children know this very, very well as they try to encourage their loved ones away from their screens and devices, maybe just occasionally out into the daylight on a sunny day. It's a fight. But it's worth the fight because actually, yeah, those children do, in the end, have a better time. We know they'll have a better time. Perhaps even they know it too. But it's a fight. And if you go to a house with teenage children, you'll see the evidence down the hall and on the doorstep. Deep, long scratch marks from where they've dug their fingernails in. Had to be dragged out forcibly by their parents. And that is in many ways what David is doing with us through this psalm, dragging us out, out into the daylight. You don't feel like praying? Well, pray. As someone wisely said, pray until you are praying. And if you don't know what to pray at first, if you can't think of the words, pray this. God has given you the words. Here they are. But what is it that, that moves us on from that first step? What is it that transforms those, those, those fairly forced prayers into real prayers, into wholehearted prayers? Well, this is our second point this morning. It gets really to the heart of what this psalm is all about. What's the main thing we should be doing in the midst of pain and suffering? Well, David shows us with his own example and teaches us through that too. And it's this, it's to cry out openly to him for help and mercy. Cry out openly to him for help and mercy. Pour out everything to the Lord. And I do mean everything. And then ask for his help. That's what we find David doing here, especially in two key sections of this psalm, verses four through to seven. And then verse 16 through to the end. Remember that David's in a situation where he can't see a way forward. He's incapacitated by his guilt. He's fearful of his enemies and he's deep in anguish. So what does he pray? Let me read from verse 4. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. He can't see the way forward, so what does he pray? Look again at verses four and five. Show me, teach me, guide me, teach me again. He's incapacitated by guilt, so what does he pray? Verse six, remember, O Lord, your mercy and love. Verse seven, remember not the sins of my youth. You know, I can remember them. They're burdening me, he's saying. And it fills me with dread that you can remember them. Please don't remember them. 
Later on in the psalm, we can see that this guilt is contributing to David's anxiety under pressure. So what does he pray? Let me read from verse 16. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Memories of past sin are like poison in the Christian life. They slow us down. They make us weak and sick. They cloud our vision and take away our joy. As such, memories of past sin are the greatest and most powerful weapons our enemies have against us. I wonder what memory would your enemy, Satan, love to stir up in you? For David, you can see it was the, uh, the sins of his youth. Uh, what might they be, I wonder? Sins of lust, uh, sexual immorality, infidelity perhaps, anger, violence, drunkenness, pride. Or perhaps for you it would be, it would be the sins of middle and old age, grumpiness, bitterness. Pride, again. Materialism. Have you perhaps sunk into what John Piper calls the dead-end dream of middle-class security and comfort? Or if not, perhaps your sin is wanting to sink into the dead-end dream of middle-class security and comfort. I don't know from my own experience, it's not just the big things from the past, but the small things from recent experience. You know, it's that thing that you planned or wanted to do that you failed to do. It's the thing that you said yesterday that wasn't quite right or helpful and you're, you're regretting it and it's going over and over in your mind. It's the deadline that you just missed. And along with all the other darker memories, uh, these thoughts are clogging our minds and thinking, uh, distracting us in the day and keeping us awake at night. I suppose it's a bit like using an old computer with too many programs running all at once and loads of malware running in the background and everything just stops functioning how it should do and grinds slowly and slowly to a halt. But what praying like David in Psalm 25 will do is hand all of that over to the Lord. It's not about ignoring those thoughts, pretending they're not there. It's about handing them over to him. Look again at what David is praying for. Verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me, Lord. End of verse 17, free me from my anguish. Or verse 18, look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. Is he praying this psalm or praying prayers based on this psalm? We'll, we'll indeed open up our anguish to the Lord and do that uh, without reservation. Uh, but it's also doing that knowing that we, 
we cannot deal with those things ourselves. This psalm encourages us to pray with a confidence that our God can deal with them and is indeed is more than willing to do so. And if those of, us, those of us who are not praying enough like this, and I include myself here, were to do so, I, I do believe it could transform our lives and our Christian ministry. And if we could pray more like this as a church family, then who knows what the Lord might do. So what is holding us back from praying this way? Well, no doubt there are many, many reasons, but let me deal with just three of them. Here's the first one. So you might well say to me, surely that can't be right. Surely this is the wrong way to, to, to read a psalm. Surely the, the purpose of a psalm, especially a, a psalm of David, is, is to see its fulfillment in, in Jesus. Now this is a, a relatively common objection to praying the psalms. So in a survey of evangelical Christians in, in Sydney, for example, 10% of the people in the survey believe that the only purpose of the Psalms is to lead us to Jesus. And they wouldn't be at all happy with using the Psalms in the way I've been suggesting so far. Now, it is, of course, wonderfully true that the Psalms lead us to Jesus. This Psalm, for example, shows us the Lord's anointed, King David, entrusting himself to the Lord and persevering through persecution. That's a foretaste of David's greatest son, the Lord's anointed, Jesus Christ, entrusting himself to his father and persevering through suffering and death and, and doing it all without any of the sin and guilt that we see in David here. That is a wonderful and marvelous thing to see. But the mistake is to think that once we've seen that, that's the end of the story. Because the truth is that as Christians, we have better reason, better reason to pray like this than David ever had. You see, as David was crying out for the Lord's mercy in this psalm, he had much less than us to go on. He had his own past experience to go on. He had Israel's history to go on. But we have much more. We have the cross we have, for example, the image that the Apostle Paul gives us in Colossians uh, chapter 2 of the crucified Lord Jesus and our sins and transgressions nailed to the cross. See, rather than merely hope that the Lord will forgive the sins we bring before him in prayer, we can see them nailed there on the cross, each one of them, each one of them paid for absolutely by Jesus and his death, disarming completely our enemies and guaranteeing our future life with him. We might wonder as David cries out, you know, remember not the sins of my youth. We might wonder, how, and yeah, how is that possible? How can the Lord actually forget our sins? How is that possible? When we look to the cross and suddenly it all makes sense. That's how it's possible. That's how he can forget them. And that gives us more motivation to pray like this than we could ever imagine. Here's a second objection, perhaps a slightly more personal one. 
So you may, may hear me saying, well, you know, let's be open with God. Let's bring all our guilt and anguish to him. And you may hear that and, and think to yourselves, but I just don't want to do that. I don't want to bring all those things to the surface again. I certainly don't want to bring all those things before God. Those are the things that I'm trying to forget. And uh, I suppose there's much in the culture around us to encourage us in that kind of direction. Much of the life around us in the world is very much about helping us to forget our troublesome thoughts. Much of uh, the activity of life is working so hard to distract ourselves from those thoughts. Some modern forms of counselling are all about distancing ourselves from our painful thoughts so they become more impersonal and less hurtful. I've been spending a little time recently reading about this and it's, it's been interesting and it's, it's interesting that um, those approaches superficially can seem quite attractive because in some sense they do work, they do make people feel, feel better, at least for a short while. But is that really the way forward as, as Christians? Do we really think we can do any good by holding back those painful thoughts from the Lord? Uh, does he not know them all already anyway? And in the end, what would we rather have? You know, those painful thoughts and memories hidden away in some dark corner of our minds. Is that good enough? Would it not be much, much better to get them out into the open, dealt with by our merciful Heavenly Father, every one of them nailed to the cross of the Lord Jesus? Uh, One third and final objection. Surely, you may say, all this this talk of lamenting, all this sorrow and anguish and misery, surely all of that is, is not for Christians at all. Surely Christians are are supposed to be people of joy, not sorrow. We've been uh, thinking as a staff team recently about how good it would be if we could express more joy together as a a church family when when we meet uh, like this. Here I am, putting an absolute massive spanner in the works with a whole series on lamenting. When my daughter Lizzie saw that I was uh, doing this series, she, she she said, hmm, well, that will suit you. <laughs> what am I doing here? It's terrible, isn't it? What am I doing imposing all my gloominess on you this morning? Now, of course, it's true that the Christian message is a joyful message. And uh, there is indeed something wrong with it when the joy is entirely missing. But we also need to remember that the joy that we have in the Christian life is a joy that comes by faith not by sight. Much of what we actually see and experience in this broken world is much more an occasion for sorrow and distress, not joy. It's only through the hope opened up to us by Jesus that that sorrow can begin to turn to joy again. In other words, there's a process to go through of remembering, of Believing, of struggling, prayer. 
And the Bible is showing us that lamentation is right at the heart of that. That's the, the movement that we find in the Psalms. You see it in, in many individual Psalms, and you see it across the, the Psalms as a whole. Lamenting leads to joy, it leads to praise. But my observation is that, that many Christians try to jump far too quickly to the joy and praise without going through the due process. And the result is, I have to say, often shallow and insincere. So as we finish, let's go back to some of those verses in this psalm I was having uh, some problems with at the beginning. Remember, one of them was was verse three, uh, for example, where David says that no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. And I hope now that we can embrace those words a little more wholeheartedly. You see, we've begun to entrust ourselves to the Lord, to place our hope in him. And uh, we've taken all of our painful memories and our anxieties and our anguish and we've poured them out uh, to the Lord. And we've been reminded that this psalm is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus, who entrusted himself to his father and in in his anguish on the cross and we've been reminded of him dying there and we've also seen that long list of things that have been troubling us, all those thoughts nailed to the cross. Those who would shame us have indeed been disarmed. And we can say with David, therefore, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. And how much easier it is now to say uh, verses 8 through to 10, for example. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. And we can say, verse 10, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. This is my challenge for us this coming week, and I'm including myself in this. And my challenge is really to, to use Psalm 25 uh, to breathe some new life into our private prayers. Let's use this psalm to bring some order into the chaos of our thoughts. There is much order in this psalm. We haven't had much time to look at that, but it is a very ordered psalm. Some of that's hidden to us in the English but we can easy, easily see the ordered way in which David goes about this, alternating a, a basic pattern between crying out to the Lord on the one hand and then praising him. Crying out, then praising, crying out, praising, crying out, praising, and ending with crying out. Well, let's try that pattern out in our own prayers this week. And I think we'll start to find the, the praising part of it get easier and easier and increasingly more sincere. And I have to say that I'm very, very keen to grow in all this because I'm finding that life and ministry gets increasingly complex and difficult the older I get. You know, the responsibilities get greater, which means that the opportunities to get things wrong and mess things up gets greater. And yet, of course, all the time, the energy is decreasing. It, it seems like a very odd pattern, doesn't it? It seems a little unfair. 
but not if the expectation is that we grow in our capacity to think and pray like this. And I suspect that the better we get at praying this way in private, the better we will get at encouraging one another across the church family in these kinds of ways and to pray like this. After all, that's exactly what David is doing here. This was originally a private prayer, a private experience of anguish before the Lord. But he's opened that up to his whole people. David has opened that up to his whole people and written it down out of love for them to bring them to pray like this too, both privately and corporately. And that is what the Lord wants for us too. Prayers like this in private and as we pray together. Well, let's pray together now. Our loving Heavenly Father, you are indeed good and upright, and all your ways are loving and faithful. Do not let us be put to shame. Show us your ways. Guide us in your truth. Teach us. Turn to us and be gracious to us. And look upon our affliction and our distress. And take away all our sins. And we ask it in the name of the precious Lord Jesus. Amen.